Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a lawyer-turned-social entrepreneur from San Francisco, California, USA, Mr. Manik Suri. Manik, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Manik is the founder and CEO of Therma, a startup on a mission to protect our food, health, and the planet. He is a co-founder of Governance Lab. As I mentioned, he's a lawyer. He was admitted to the California Bar, and he's held a position at the White House National Economic Council. My goodness, at such a young age, you seem to have achieved far more than a lot of people could do in a lifetime. Malik, let's talk about Therma. Uh, tell me a little bit about this venture. Well, thank you so much, Ashutosh, for having me on and uh, just trying to keep up with those uh, like yourself who've done so many things in, in, uh, in one lifetime. It's a pleasure to be here. Therma is a startup that I uh, co-founded and run today, mm -hmm. focused on uh, transforming the cooling sector, mm -hmm. trying to reduce waste and reduce the carbon footprint of uh, air conditioning and refrigeration yeah. um, in particular big uh, and important parts of the global economy that are growing because many parts of the world need uh, more cooling. Specifically, um, right now, we focus very much on the cold chain, the refrigeration layer. But the, um, the reality is that cooling causes a lot of emissions. Um, in, in some estimates, nearly 8% of all warming is a result of uh, direct and indirect emissions and growing because so much of the world doesn't have cooling yeah. assets today. So we're trying yeah. to reduce that footprint and help businesses save some money mm -hmm. uh, while also uh, providing uh, consumers with access to more and more perishables, things like food and pharma, mm. uh, which you know obviously everyone wants. We use a combination of technologies to do that. Small team, about 60 people mm -hmm. uh, based out of the Bay Area. Happy to tell you more, but uh, we think yep. of ourselves as clean cooling startups. Absolutely. Well, what you said makes me think, and I was speaking to someone else, cooling, cooling actually causes heating, isn't it? So It does. That's the irony. And as the planet I, warms, we're going to need more cooling, which is going to cause more warming. And so there's correct. a circular, a kind of vicious cycle correct, there. Correct. Well said. So, <clears throat> Manik, tell me, you know, climate change is something which is becoming very big. And climate tech seems to be the new hot area for all investments coming in. But what are some of the challenges we face uh, on Earth uh, regarding climate change, especially with regard to the food, health and planet, the areas you work in? Absolutely. Well, I do think uh, you're right. And no pun intended. Climate tech is hot, um, partly because I think it's become increasingly obvious to all of us hmm. that this is a problem of our generation, not a future generation. When I was growing up, um, I always thought that climate change was something that my grandkids, grandkids would be dealing with, mm. not something that we would actually be struggling with. But um, having grown up in California, largely in the Central Valley, and then uh, now for the last seven years in, in the Bay Area, um, you know, there were wildfires uh, that ravaged yeah. Northern California a few years ago. Um, they were within 30 miles of my house where my parents still live. Mm. Um you know, we were actually staying in Napa, my wife and I, the weekend when the wildfire started, we were on a vacation up there. Mm -hmm. I think many people, at least here in California, kind of woke up a few years ago when they realized, wow, this is uh, this is happening and this is not going to go away. These extreme weather events are not just something far away. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there is a certain um, 
I think spark right now in the in the innovation community, but also in the investor community around climate. The um, the focus that we have specifically is around how to deliver better and more access to uh, the kinds of products that cold chain and refrigeration, specifically the refrigeration supply chain delivers and offers. Those include fresh food, proteins, dairy, um, and of course, on the on the healthcare side, pharmaceuticals, uh, vaccines, mm. and um, you know, drugs, plasma, and blood. These are all temperature sensitive. And so the world needs more cold chain. We need to increase the amount of refrigeration available to billions who don't have enough access to fresh food and, mm-hmm. and, and, and pharmacologics. However, we have to do it in a way that doesn't cause the kind of warming that we're already seeing. Mm-hmm. And so there's three sources of waste that we try and tackle at Therma. One is product loss and product spoilage that happens across the cold chain. We use IoT sensors and real-time monitoring to try and reduce waste and loss. Second is uh, refrigerant leaks. Mm-hmm. Refrigerant chemicals that go into refrigeration and air conditioning that cause things to, to cool. Right. The problem with refrigerants is they're ultra warming. When they get emitted, when they get leaked into the atmosphere, they leak. They, they cause about 1,000 to 11,000 times the warming of CO2. Mm-hmm. They're ultra warming. Mm-hmm. And so we want to try and catch those leakage events mm-hmm. and prevent them. We don't want that stuff getting into the atmosphere and causing superheating. Right. The third is energy. <clears throat> We're actually creating intelligence around refrigeration, uh, similar to like a Nest mm-hmm. thermostat, similar with a smart thermostat. Mm-hmm. We're starting to dynamically manage refrigeration <clears throat> to turn these assets up and down when energy prices change or when utilities need that power. <clears throat> For a hundred years, uh, no one has ever dynamically managed refrigeration. If you think about it, you'd be hard pressed to find a person, let alone a business, mm-hmm. that turns refrigeration up and down uh, when energy prices change. Everyone runs it constantly at the same mm-hmm. set point, you know, for, for, for year after year. We're trying to dynamically manage those assets. So that's that's kind of what Therma does. Mm. Uh, fascinating, fascinating. And, you know, uh, you also do a lot of work on food waste, which you just spoke about, energy inefficiency and refrigerant emissions. What goes into supporting all these activities? Yeah, well, I mean, from a from a technology standpoint, we use a combination of IoT sensors, Internet of Things sensors. Mm-hmm. These are the size of a deck of cards. Uh, we dr- they're drop in place, so we, mm-hmm. we we develop and 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 sell uh, IoT enabled solutions. So the sensors are the starting point. A typical customer will drop these into a piece of refrigeration or a freezer, mm-hmm. or if you have a large cold storage warehouse, you might put dozens of them in. Those give you 24-7 visibility into what's going on inside mm-hmm. the environment. That's the beginning of the product layer. Then there's a software layer on top of that, which is alarm-like you know, uh, functionality, kind of a 24-7 alerting and alarming system. And then on top of that, we have an analytics package. That helps you see what's going on. For example, if you're overcooling systematically, if you're running the box five degrees or eight degrees colder than it needs to be, mm-hmm. we can flag that and tell you, hey, you're wasting a bunch of energy here. You can raise the set point and still do things legally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of our, our our basic product offering, which is IoT sensors, mm-hmm. software to provide alarm, and then mm-hmm. analytics on top of that. Amazing. And that's kind of the, the core package. Recently, we've added Ashutosh a new product on top of that, mm-hmm. which is our energy management package. Okay. That allows you to actually, <clears throat> that requires a technician. It's not a drop and play sensor. These are controls that have to be installed on the back of the fridge and freezer. Mm-hmm. Once those controls are installed, we can turn your refrigeration up and down dynamically and wow. we can actually remote control it. And mm-hmm. then we, that way when energy prices go up, we can, you know, 
lower the energy use of the refrigeration slightly, just enough to take advantage of the lower energy price later on. Mm-hmm. The ability to shift when and how long these assets use power mm-hmm. is kind of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit hard for people to get their heads around, but we're starting to think about using refrigeration as a battery. Okay. If you think about okay. it like this, the product inside the fridge or the freezer can stay cold for a certain amount of time. The thermal mass can actually hold energy in the mm-hmm. form of cold product. Mm. You notice if you ever had a power cut, for example, and, yeah. and we've had plenty of power cuts in California, mm. um, the product will still stay cold for a certain amount of time. Correct. So you can actually take advantage of this and actually use the battery or tap the battery when the electricity grids need the power wow. uh, in a form of load balancing. So we're actually starting to use refrigerators as batteries to yeah. tap. Mm. And you can pre-cool them. You can charge the battery by extra cooling it when energy is cheap and then running it off when energy is expensive. So that's kind of where Therm is headed, which is into kind of intelligent refrigeration. You know, I'm not an expert, but I speak to so many different people. And so I was, someone was saying when you were talking of lithium batteries, was the whole challenge of batteries heating up. And now you are giving me a, a completely reverse kind of a situation where you can reuse fridges as batteries. Amazing. But moving on, Manik... Uh, you know, you're working on, on uh, managing cooling and managing the negative effects of all the coolants that are used in different equipment. How receptive are the large corporations to actually making a change? Surprisingly, surprisingly, they're very receptive. Okay. However, Ashutosh, I would say it's largely because we sell on a primarily financial ROI. Hmm. Uh, we, don't, we don't believe that businesses will necessarily adopt technology just because it's the right thing to do for the planet or the right thing to do for the society. We believe that you have to uh, convince business stakeholders that what they're doing is also good for them. And so our vision and our mission is to align profitability and sustainability. Mm -hmm. I think when you're working on a sector uh, like the cold chain, where there's so much waste and Mm -hmm. businesses throw away so much money in the form of lost product equipment downtime and energy overconsumed, it's easy to make a financial ROI uh, driven uh, case for adopting technology like Therma. And so I'm delighted to say that in the last two years, we've signed up uh, operators of brands like McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Domino's, Starbucks, mm-hmm. Burger King, uh, Marriott, Wyndham and Hilton, uh, 7-Eleven and others. Those are all customers today of Therma. And that's despite the pandemic. And so uh, the pandemic uh, has obviously been a huge uh, headwind for many of these sectors like mm-hmm. restaurants and hospitality. And despite that, we've had you know, uh, very nice growth rates, I think largely because the product saves businesses money and it's measurable. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. ultimately how you get people to change things. And then of course it has a sustainability ROI as well. And then brands can, can message that they're doing the right thing to their, you know, to their customers as well. But we focus on the financial ROI when we're trying to sell the product. Fantastic. So, you know, uh, uh, Manik, it has often been said that climate change is the victim of politics and politicians. I'd love to get your perspective on that. Well, I think there's a, you know, a lot of ink has been spilled on the topic, Ashutosh. Mm-hmm. I guess I would go back to a lesson from economics kind of 101, my mm-hmm. first semester at Harvard undergrad. Uh, you know, the tragedy of the commons is a kind of classic, uh, you know, uh, framework that economists use to describe 
when um, you know public externalities or public goods are systematically underinvested in. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know you have this problem with the climate where it's got diffuse. Uh, you know, to to the average individual, it's got diffuse benefits and concentrated costs. Mm. So people, of course, at scale, do not want the planet to warm. Mm. But at the margin, it's very hard to convince an individual firm or an individual uh, family or an individual human to change their behavior because in the long run, it might be good for the planet in some general long-term diffuse sense. That's Mm. one of those classic problems where you experience the cost very concentratedly and very immediately. And the benefit is far out and hard to feel. Mm. And so I think in those kinds of problems, with those kinds of problems, traditional democratic politics struggle because you've got frameworks and and, and electoral cycles that reward politicians Mm. for delivering results to their you know, constituents. And if a politician can't deliver a result to a voting community, Mm. good luck getting reelected. If a politician is not going to get reelected on an issue, good luck getting them to focus on it anytime (laughs) while they're in office. And so you have this problem with climate where everyone knows ought to change policies, but the costs are concentrated, the benefits are diffused, so no one does it. And so what a great response. What a great response. uh, You know, I'm just re I'm just re uh, returning to one of these challenges that, you know, I think we face with many issues, but climate is climate is one of them that we're all going to have to deal with because it's, there's only one, I keep saying to all my friends who work in crypto, you know, we have lots of metaverses now, but only one universe, this verse, we got (laughs) to fix. Well said, well said. So uh, one of the things, and this is uh, for a lot of my young viewers and listeners who are so very conscious about climate change, what steps can each one of us take on a daily basis to make our own contribution towards a greater greater good? I think there's many, many things we can do. There's the kind of immediate stuff like um, take a look at your fridge, take mm. a look at your closet. Uh, you know, take five minutes on the weekend and think about the brands that you support. There are many small actions that we can take. For example, um, I convinced my wife a few years ago to start using thermoses Mm -hmm. instead of bottled water. She grew up drinking a lot of bottled water and, you know, eliminating the bottled water use in our household is not going to change or save the planet. But when you think about those kinds of actions at scale, you can start to imagine how, okay, if we start to recycle at the margin, if we start to use less, uh, you, know, un, you, know, you know, hard to replace or hard to, 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 to kind of recirculate goods. Or for example, if we purchase uh, products that are pro-planet, mm-hmm. one thing I'm really excited about is meat alternatives. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up you know, eating, uh, you know, uh, animal protein. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm a Punjabi. For those of you who yeah. don't know what Punjab is or where Punjab is, I grew up very much, uh, you know, a kind of meat lover Correct. and a family that eats. And I've recently been trying to eat more um, impossible and beyond meat. Mm-hmm. It's a small choice and it's not like I do it consistently, but I think these kinds of small actions that we take do ultimately make an impact at scale. So whatever the small micro action is, whether it's choosing to consume differently or putting your dollars to work behind different brands, Mm -hmm. 
I think there's lots of actions we can take. But more importantly, if you're really interested in making a difference, put your energy behind one of the really interesting organizations working mm. on sustainability. There's so many yeah. in every part of the world. I'm, I'm constantly amazed. I meet a lot mm. of folks uh, working on sustainability and circular economy and climate everywhere in the planet. And so, you know, join a group or get involved, become an activist, become an entrepreneur, uh, you know, uh, do, do it at any level. I mean, that's yeah. kind of my encouragement to yeah. everyone who cares. Absolutely. Well, and what great advice, I mean, from actually managing what we are eating, what we are consuming to looking at the brands that we are buying and to actually putting your shoulder to the wheel with some organization. Thank you. Uh, so moving on, Manik, uh, Bill Gates recently said that we only have 10 years left. Now, that almost seems like a doomsday statement. But for someone like you who's spending so much time in being able to manage this whole big challenge to Therma, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the, you know, <laughs> the framework around how much time we have left and, and what we can actually do can often seem very depressing, Ashutosh. I think the, you know, if you follow the IPCC or other climate bodies and their kind of regular reporting on the problem, the frameworks that they use are typically number of degrees of warming and number of gigatons of emission reduction required to alleviate or to mitigate mm -hmm. certain warming rates. And so the, the, the scenario modeling is all around how fast and how warm can we afford the planet to get? Correct. And I think when, when, uh, when, when Gates says we only have 10 years left, I think what he's referring to is if we don't significantly reduce the total entirety of emissions already in the atmosphere and mm. new emissions being added, mm. the atmospheric warming rate is going to be reaching a level that is you know, essentially hard to recover from and hard to turn back. And at a certain point, the outcomes start to look dire from the standpoint of extreme weather, you know, uh, human migration patterns that could be super disturbing and challenging. Mm. And many, many places could become much less inhabitable than they already are. So it gets pretty dire. Mm. I try to focus more on what we can do mm -hmm. than, uh, you know, I do think one needs to sound the alarm. I don't want to sound like I'm, um, you know, upset that people are alarmist. I think we should be alarmist. We better be telling everyone, like, take action now, mm -hmm. because this is one of those problems that it's not going to go away by just, you know, watching Netflix or, you know, avoiding thinking about it. It's going to get worse. My focus and every day I spend most of my energy trying to get people to think about solutions. Um, that might be just because I'm, you know, an optimist or, or, or maybe I'm insane, but uh, I do believe that humans have shown themselves to be ingenious and capable of solving the problems they, they create time and again. And I like to believe that we can align with our better angels and, you know, take action and do the right thing. And I also believe that, that, that innovation is, is a massive um, um, driver of social change. And so we can tap that innovative capacity. So I focus on, let's make a dent on problems that no one else is working on. One of the reasons I work on refrigeration is because we couldn't find many thoughtful entrepreneurs and teams that were actually tackling it. The sector was run like it's 1950. And so we said, okay, I have a lot of friends who work on uh, social media or photo sharing apps or meal delivery. Those things work pretty well. <laughs> Thanks very much. Right. Uh, 
but you know, there's lots of inefficiencies in the built environment that are causing warming that could be ta- ta- you know, tackled. And so I like to work on the unsexy problems, Ashutosh. I tell my friends, like, the unsexy is the stuff that needs to be fixed. And Correct. so that's, that's why I'm here. Correct. Well said. So, I've, Manik, I have time for two more questions. My next question to you is the, that the pandemic, uh, which locked all of us inside our homes for two years, people are now saying that the pandemic, the positive part was that it gave time for the planet to heal itself. Uh, what are your thoughts? Should we just leave Mother Nature on her own and correct the situation? It sounds, to many, I think it sounds, um, you know, romantic and wistful. And mm-hmm. in a certain sense, there's a kind of, um, you know, almost Arundhati Roy-like appeal okay. to the idea of turning back the clock and returning to this kind of, you know, pre-industrial mm-hmm. existence. I, I remember seeing photos in the news here in cities in the U.S., uh, where there were animals roaming through the streets that had not been seen for decades because you know there was no one else in the streets for month after month. Mm. Unfortunately, I don't think we can realistically return to a pre-industrial society. I don't see any signs of it. Mm-hmm. And I live in the Bay Area in California where uh, people could afford to be pre-industrial if they wanted, but they're embracing technology at breakneck yeah. rate. So yeah. I just don't see us going back to a a kind of a time when we're not engaging with commerce, when we're not connected through, you know, web technologies, where we're not utilizing resources in a kind of post-industrial way. If anything, I think we might benefit from integrating our existence into the natural fabric. I think it's more of a post-modern or post-industrial, you know, uh, steady state that we need to seek, which is maybe accepting that nature is a force that needs to be respected. Mm. That's very hard. And, and certainly um, many have written and spoken eloquently about it. And I'm not, uh, I don't come from conservation and, and naturalism, but it appeals. Okay. As, uh, and so I do think we can, we, can, we can embrace that respect for nature. And I try and instill it in my 10 month old, for example, every day we go out and touch the tree in the backyard and say, thank you God for giving us the trees. But I do think um, we have to accept that industrial society isn't going away. And uh, industrializing and developing economies are growing rapidly. So we have to figure out new ways of solving these problems. We can't Fantastic. rely on that. Fantastic. And my last question to you, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. What would you say, Manik, are three lessons you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from our conversation and your experience? Believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad always says this to me. My dad's one of my inspirations and mm-hmm. was also a kind of entrepreneur and a first generation immigrant. And he's always said to me, believe in yourself um, as an entrepreneur and someone who's experienced a lot of failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, before starting Therma, I hadn't experienced a lot of success. I hadn't experienced a lot of failure. I had a lot of success and I'd been very privileged. Mm-hmm. I'd gone to Harvard twice, I'd gone to Cambridge, worked at DE Shaw, worked at the White House was always top of my class in any school I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started a company and I got rejected about 150 times in the first six months. Wow. And then I got rejected another 400 times with sales and recruiting and investors and all kinds of things were hard. And it's still hard, even at mm-hmm. you know, 60 people. And so I would say uh, one thing I've started to learn is believe in yourself and just mm-hmm. keep going, put one foot in front of the next. 
Um, if, if you believe in yourself, things mm. will happen. Mm. Second is surround yourself with people who inspire you and who are better than you. Someone mm. said to me, um, I like to be the least smart person in the room, in any room I'm mm. in. Mm. Um, and I used to say, oh, I like to be the smartest person in the room. And now I totally think that's the right way. The former is the right way. It's you want to be the least smart person in the room because that means you're doing something right. If you're the smartest person in the room, you should change the room. Correct. Uh, Correct. So, you know, surround yourself with people who can level you up. Yeah. Uh, and the third is um, don't take it too seriously. Mm. You know, this is something um, my wife, who I've been with for 21 years, we met as freshmen in college mm -hmm. uh, in 2001. And we've been together for the whole time. We were dated for, for 12 years. She's my best friend. Mm. She's known me, you know, as when we were kids. Mm. And she's often reminding me, like, don't take it too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take mm. the success or the loss. There is a certain kind of hold it lightly. Yeah. I think it makes it more, uh, there's a kind of appreciation for the highs and a kind of humility around the lows mm. that sometimes I find now being a dad, I have my first kid uh, last year. And sometimes I just watch, her interacting with, um, you know, our dog or with the grass or with, you know, she was watching a bumblebee over the weekend. Mm. You kind of realize that these, we create these ideas about who we ought to be and the change we have to achieve and all the problems we have to solve. And mm. we get so heavy and so caught up that we forget to appreciate the lightness of being around it. So that's an encouragement I have to anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur, oh, innovator or not. Oh, wonderful. Monique, on that note, uh, and on, uh, on you know, taking up from where you've said, we need to have a climate-friendly machines, climate-friendly technology, climate-friendly living. We need to be able to actually walk the talk ourselves uh, for every single thing that we do, keeping in mind our climate. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me about Therma and the amazing work you're doing in cooling and refrigeration. Thank you for... Uh, sharing with me uh, your three uh, inputs for our viewers and listeners. Thank you again for speaking to me and good luck. Really a pleasure. Um, thanks all for listening. Ashutosh, congrats on such a successful career and uh, excited to, to see more of your conversations in the years ahead. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.